0: Okay. Announcements. First announcement is that we will be having Bible class this week. We will not have Bible class next Tuesday night because I will be in Dallas at the um, pre-trib rapture study group on uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Also, I want to let those of you who knew Ken Monroe know that Ken... Uh, many people in the congregation knew Ken and his wife Linda Ken went to be with the lord last uh, yesterday day before yesterday Sunday afternoon at twelve thirty p m and his there will be a graveside service at Memorial Oaks out here off of Eldridge and i ten at ten thirty in the morning, and then the memorial service will be at noon at um, at uh, uh, Bethel Presbyterian Church over on on Bering Drive, and uh, Bruce Bumgardner will be conducting uh, those services. Also, on December 9th, we will be having our annual Thanksgiving slash Christmas uh, church luncheon, and that is why these two lessons are important for people who come because it's an opportunity for us to learn how to biblically praise the Lord so that when I give people an opportunity to uh, praise the Lord for things that have happened in the last year, they'll know how to do it biblically, which is very important. A lot of times people don't know, they're not taught. This is something I've heard a number of times, witnessed throughout my life, that people just don't pay attention to the scriptural patterns. So uh, that will be important for everyone. I'll send something out just summarizing what we've been studying. Before we get started, we'll make sure that we are prepared spiritually to worship the Lord through learning His Word, and that means that if necessary, we need to confess sin, which simply means to admit or acknowledge our sin to God, and instantly in His grace, He forgives us of those sins and then cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I think for many of us who've been believers a long time, we forget how significant and powerful that that simple truth is but instantly we're restored to that rapport with him to walk with the spirit to walk by means of the spirit and so after a few moments of silent prayer then i will open in prayer let's pray Father, it's a great privilege we have to come into your throne of grace. We have access because Jesus Christ died for our sins, that He removed the veil, so that we have that access that was never true in the Old Testament. And we have a relationship with you that is indeed greater than any Old Testament saint. We have privileges, we have responsibilities. We have assets that you have given us in Christ that go beyond our imagination. And Father, we're told of many of these in the Scripture, and yet sadly, because we are made of dust and we are frail, we fail to use these to learn about them. And yet, Father, in your grace, you still deal with us and you still uh, lower yourself to our level, to communicate to us, to strengthen us, to encourage us as you are mindful of us. Now, Father, we pray that as we study tonight, you'll help us to understand these things, that we study about how to praise you, what is taught, what is exemplified for us in the Psalms, that your glory may be enhanced and expanded throughout the world because of our witness. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our topic from last time as we continue in worship is to talk about what it means to praise God. As I pointed out last time, in a lot of situations today, when somebody says, Well, let's praise God, they think that means, in the most superficial sense, Well, they'll just say, Praise God. And that's not what it means to praise God, is to simply say, Praise God. In another sense, what people think is that this means that we're to sing, and that's not necessarily praising God, although a lot of the Psalms were later set to music. They started as poetry, which was an expression of, an in, in most cases, of an individual situation that was then reflected upon, meditated upon, and was written according to certain certain forms and standards to, uh, to express what was going on in the individual's life, either expressing a problem. large part of the psalms are called lament psalms, which basically crying out to God to deliver them, focusing on the, the uh, problem. And then they shift in their solution as they focus on God and his grace And they often end with a vow of praise and even a short statement of praise. So praise runs throughout almost all of the psalms. And then you have another large category of psalms that are called praise psalms. Sometimes we think of them as Thanksgiving psalms, and I'll talk about that. And these are given to us as a pattern for learning how to pray, learning how to praise, As I pointed out last time, for 2,500 years, over 2,500 years, the Psalms were the hymn book of the Jews in the Old Testament and of the early church until the post-Reformation period into the 1600s. And they sang the words of God. And then we had the development of hymns, which tried to emulate the Psalms and were rich in doctrine, the good ones were. And then sadly, in the late 20th century, we saw a shift in music, and not only in the language, the lyrics, uh, what came to be known as praise and worship, but also in the music. And music is a language, as Scott Annual pointed out when he spoke at our uh, Chafer Conference back in 2013, music is a language. And today, I had some workmen at the house, that's why I'm sniffling, because we had a little problem in the house and getting all this work done and it stirred up all kinds of dust and it's driving me absolutely nuts and I can't go five minutes without sneezing. But in between the sneezes as I was working upstairs, I heard this music that they were playing downstairs. A couple of Hispanic guys who, a couple of, who don't have much English, one guy has more than the other one. And as I was listening, I thought, that is great music. I could not understand the lyrics because they were in Spanish, but I knew from the music that it was about God, that this was solid, sound music for the worship of God. So when I went downstairs to get some coffee, I asked him, I said, what are you listening to? And he said, church music. And so I was confirmed in that, and it was some of the music from the, what the choir sings at the church where uh, where he goes. And he was not shy at all about inviting me to church. I've often said that when you're really enjoying what your spiritual life and your relationship with God, you want to tell people about it, and you want to uh, then invite people to church. And that's exactly what, what he did. Uh, while we were while we were there trying to figure things out, as I, he was speaking in somewhat broken English, but it's interesting, and it was such a great example that you just knew from the music that this was. It elevated you, it lifted you up. It, it wasn't like this. The the it this music that we're talking about. It, it's like what the kind of music I've pointed out that you will hear and sometimes in the setting of a Gothic cathedral where the architecture fo- forces you to look up toward God and the music does the same thing. It didn't have a beat. It wasn't syncopated. It didn't have a lot of these features today that are really designed to artificially manipulate emotions. It It just, it was elegant. And so... Again, this is the kind of music that we uh, should be uh, using in church. Uh, this is the kind of music that words that are profound and doctrinally sound should be joined with. Psalm 34, one Psalm 34 is a lengthy psalm. We studied it. You can go back and listen to the study we did on it. This was a psalm written by David when he had been captured by Abimelech and Gath, and he feigned madness. And afterward, God delivered him, and he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And so this is his statement, his summary statement, topical statement, as he begins the psalm and he, and then we see what it really should exhibit praise when you're when you see in a lament psalm it begins with a focus on the problem and the psalmist is is really down he's facing death or being overwhelmed by his enemies or health or being defeated militarily and and he is not upbeat at all but but in a praise psalm it is there's a sense of exuberance and that's the kind of thing that sort of pulls us out of our our cultural background because a lot of us come out of backgrounds where you just don't say much and you sort of keep it in and you certainly don't want to show any emotion in church. But there's a great emotion in these psalms, but it's driven by the fact that God has intervened and interceded in our life and God has done something, and so you're excited about that. kind of thing that when I had this episode today, I came back and I picked up the phone and called a friend and said, you're not going to believe what I what great illustration I just had. And we all ought to have people in our lives that when we see that God does something in our lives, that we can pick up the phone and call them and, and talk about that. That's what uh, David is talking about here. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. This isn't just on Sunday or once or twice a week but that this is my mindset. I'm, And to, for this to happen, as we'll see coming up, you have to take time to think about what's going on in your life. You have to really have a divine viewpoint, mental attitude, where you're looking at and responding to the circumstances in your life that change and develop from God's perspective and looking at them from this perspective that God is working in my life. And it may not be what you want, because sometimes God blesses us with trials in order to teach us and to refine us and to uh, strengthen our understanding of him. And the result of that is that we can praise God. Uh, David certainly didn't have a positive experience when he was being surrounded by uh, Abimelech and and the Philistines in the village, but he experienced God's deliverance and rescue. That's always at the heart of praise, is that I cried out to God, and God delivered me. And there's not a whole lot of time spent on what the problem was. It's on the deliverance of God and reminding us to turn our focus toward God. And so it praise, to be biblical, is always theocentric. It's always God-centered. It's not about me and my problems. It's about God. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. That's what praise is. It's boasting in what God did. We are excited because God did something. Uh, the humble shall hear of it and be glad. The humble are those who are also believers and are walking with the Lord they their grace-oriented And it encourages them. That's part of why in a congregation there should be opportunities for people to vocalize their Praise before the congregation is it encourages others and strengthens others. They shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That's the call to worship together and to focus on the Lord and boasting in him, magnifying his name. And of course, we know that when you see this phraseology of his name, that that always focuses us on his character it's thinking through the attributes of God and how they have been on display by this situation or circumstance in our life. And then he says I sought the Lord that's as I talked about one element of of a uh declarative praise is uh, this cry to God. I sought the Lord and he heard me. Now he does we know because there's a historical note at the very beginning of this psalm we know what the circumstances were because we were over in 1 Samuel. But in the psalm, notice how much detail he gives us. We don't know anything about the circumstances. He just said, uh, I was." A, he delivered me from my fear. So that brings it to a, a universal level where... Uh, where it can be applied to any circumstance that we're in. Maybe fears. your fears are related to health. Maybe they're related to finances. Maybe they're related to your children. Maybe they're related to your parents. Maybe they're related uh, to work and employment or the national situation or whatever it may be. What we learn from this is whatever the fear is, God delivers us. Psalm one hundred sixteen sixteen one expresses sort of the completion of this whole idea. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. So what we're doing in these lessons, the purpose for these lessons, is for us to learn more about what it means to praise God and to biblically praise God. So we looked about this a little bit last time, just to review. Praise is an outburst of joy over God's acts of intervening in our life. And we see this again and again. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. Paul says to the Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And how many times, I don't want a testimony at this point, how many times in the last week or two have we just rejoiced in God, just been excited about our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and what God is doing in our life. And so the idea of praise is that we enjoy God so much, we're so occupied with Christ and occupied with the Lord that we talk about him and his work spontaneously as we go through life with our uh, friends and family. Now, we exercise wisdom and common sense. We don't do it necessarily with regard to work or our clients or people. Uh, we work with, but those we know, we have this spontaneity. So the principle is that the focus is on God, not our problems, not our health or our financial woes or our children or our house problems or car problems or work problems or family problems. It's our focus is on how God delivers us. It's a divine-centered mental attitude, and that keeps us focused and stable and upright. So we need to focus on what God has done. And then in the expression of it, it is teaching people about God. So the purpose of praise ultimately is to encourage others in who God is and that his involvement in our life. Last time we went to Psalm 50, and I just want to highlight a couple of things that I talked about last time. In Psalm 50, verse 14, we have the command to offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. And that's interesting because what it shows is that praising God is in relation to the fact that in the Old Testament, the worshiper would have been in a situation, he would have made a vow I will do X, Y, or Z, and I will come to the temple and praise God. And as I pointed out last time, this wasn't something that uh, you, where you just got off scot-free. You had to come and you had to present a, a burnt offering, and then you had to present a, 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 a sin offering or otherwise known as a, I've taught it as a, recently as a reparation offering. And then you have to offer the peace offering. And part of the peace offering is this. Terminology that's used here and this opening line, offer to God thanksgiving, obscures what we have in the Hebrew. New American Standard Bible translates it, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and that's closer to the Hebrew because the first word in the Hebrew text is the word sacrifice. So Thanksgiving is a sacrifice, and under the Mosaic Law, that's exactly what it was. You've got to come, and you've got to bring at least three sacrifices— And the third sacrifice, the sacrifice, uh, the peace offering sacrifice, was a meal that was shared with all the priests and with all the others that were there that were present. So you were basically putting on a banquet for a lot of people. And in Texas, we'd say you were just having a great big old backyard barbecue and inviting all the neighbors to come in and enjoy uh, the benefits of God's grace toward you. The NET Bible translates it, present to God a thank offering. And the word offering there misses the idea of zibach, which is a a sacrifice. Literally means, it says, the command is to sacrifice. And then you have this word in the Greek, todah. Sacrifice todah to God. Now, if you're like John and you've been to Israel... Couple of the others of you have. One of the first words you learn. First you learn "good morning," "boker tov," and the next thing you learn is how to say "thank you," and you use the word "todah." But actually, the root meaning of "todah" isn't isn't equivalent to the American concept or the English concept of th- saying "thank you." It is really a much more complicated thing than that. And I've been spending a lot of time studying and reading about this, and it takes you to some degree beyond some of the main lexical sources that are out there, but it's a fascinating study. And the verse that we went to last time to sort of correlate with Psalm 50 was Jeremiah thirty three eleven which reads, the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of those who will say, see, the, the praise comes from people who are in joyful, happy, positive circumstances because of their relationship with God, not just because they happen to have good circumstances. See, often it's always easy to be joyful in the midst of good circumstances, but when we're walking with the Lord, even when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death of Psalm 23, we still have joy. That's what Jesus said to his disciples, my joy I give to you. And that joy was not lost at the cross. Because we're told in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. So he still had joy even in the midst of suffering. So the voice of all these people who are uh, celebrating will say, praise the Lord of hosts. But what you have in some of these translations, maybe the one that you have, this is the New King James that I've put up on the board this week, it has, thank the Lord. But why does the New King James call it, praise the Lord? Well, I put down in the box the, the Hebrew it comes from the word yada, Y-A-D-A-H. I had a typo there and had it hit the Z key the, instead of the A key. Yada, the hifil stem, which is the causative stem in the Hebrew, is hoda, hodo here. And that's an imperative, and it's a masculine plural, which means it is calling to the whole group, to the congregation, to praise the Lord of hosts. Hosts. Now, it's Hodu, it's not Halal. Another way of talking about calling people to praise God is hallel, Hallelujah, which is the plural, Yah praise God, Hallelujah. But this is the word Hodu, and it means to praise or to confess. Now, this is the root meaning of Yada, which is the The verb here, and it means to praise or confess. And so, and the core meaning is really to admit or acknowledge something. And so, what you're acknowledging is what God has done in your life. So, in Psalm 32, it's also used for the confession of sin because you're acknowledging something. You're acknowledging uh, your sin. You're talking about your sin to God, and here you're talking about what God has done. And that's Uh, when you talk about um, what God has done, that easily slips over into that idea of, of praise. And that can mean thanksgiving. But as I was reading a German author, you've never heard of before, named Klaus Westermann, who was a Hebrew scholar, not, orth, not biblically correct, or orthodox or conservative evangelical. He was a, a liberal German theologian. But like a lot of German theologians, they do excellent work in uh, analyzing language and history and etymology and things of that nature. And he had a really good illustration. He said, he said, we have to teach our kids at, um, about giving thanks How many times, and you can remember when you were a kid or maybe with your kids or your grandkids, you had to teach them to say thank you. It doesn't come naturally for people to say thank you. And so we've all been in this experience where we were either teaching a kid or it happened to us, and we were given a present, and all of a sudden we heard mom or dad say, say thank you. And so we turned around and said, thank you, so-and-so, and it was just sort of perfunctory and we went through the motions. Now, what expresses gratitude more? And I thought it was interesting. Vesterman used this illustration, and it was Christmas when he wrote. It's Christmas now. And it uh, triggered a thought in my mind. What happens if you're given just a really outstanding gift, just a, a Christmas present that is beyond your expectation or just exactly what you wanted? And instead of... Turning to your parents and giving them a hug and thanking them, Uh, I don't know whether I did that or not. I think Santa Claus actually gave me the uh, the bicycle on my ninth uh, when I was nine years old. But I jumped on that bike and I rode down the street and I was telling, you know, all my buddies down the street, "Look at what my parents gave me for Christmas." Now, what expresses thanks more? The kid who perfunctorily just says, oh, yeah, thank you. Or the kid that gets on the bike and goes and tells everybody how great his parents are because they gave him this gift or how great their spouse was or something. That's what praise is. And so you can see its its relationship to the word uh, thank you. Now, as we go through the verse... Uh, the voice of those say, "Praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for His mercy endures forever." And what we'll see is the idea of God's grace and His mercy, His loving kindness. Uh, <clears throat> often is the and, and His mercy are often the basis uh, for for praise. And of those who will bring the sacrifice of praise. Let's back to using the New King James. I didn't. I used the NIV. I think the last time, but the sacrifice of praise really picks up on this significance of what Toda referred to it didn't refer to thanksgiving as we think of thanksgiving it is a reference to the the sacrifice of praise if you were going to praise god in the temple it involved bringing these sacrifices and this same language is picked up in Hebrews chapter 13, talking about the church, the church-age believers, that were to bring the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit, uh, fruit of our lips. And so we have the, the, the noun form over here. It's translated thanksgiving in the NIV and thank offering in the NASB, but it's sacrifice of praise in the NKJV. And that's what the idea is. It's a toda sacrifice. And it, it goes beyond our, comp, our usual comprehension. Westermann had about six pages going through various languages, arguing that in most, most languages, there's no concept of thank you like we have in English or in German. And, and the English word thank you comes from the German word danken, which has as an original etymological sense, not thank you at all, but more the sense of praise. So I found all of that fascinating. We don't need to go through that, but it, it, it that's the focal point is praising someone for what they've done is a form of showing our gratitude for all that they've provided for us. We looked on in Psalm 50 in verse uh, 22 and and verse 23, the psalmist says, whoever offers praise glorifies me. God obviously is speaking. And there it's the same word. It's Todah, whoever provides or brings a sacrifice of praise glorifies me. And how do we glorify God? This is going to relate to something I'll teach as we go through this tonight, is this concept of what it means to bless God. What does it mean to glorify God? Do we add to God's glory? God is intrinsically glorious, he is intrinsically blessed because he has everything. He is infinite and self-sufficient. We can't add to anything with God. So this idea of talking about blessing God and glorifying God is really related to the idea of telling others about who God is so that we are enhancing his reputation and we're causing his reputation to expand throughout the human race. And that's how we bless God, is that we cause an expansion of his reputation on the earth. And that is the same thing with glorifying him. Glorifying God has to do with stressing his his importance, that he's the sine qua non of life, the without which nothing, that nothing can happen, we can't have real peace, happiness, stability, contentment, joy, success, or anything unless God is the foundation of it and at the very center of it. And so what this psalm is saying is whoever truly praises God, and this isn't saying praise God or just a, a quick quickie with uh, God really did something great for me. This is a soul-deep expression of our gratitude to god for his deliverance and to do that i don't think we can i don't think we see much of it today because we are all as i will point out as we go through this we're too busy we don't have time to really focus on the lord and his grace and to take that time to do that So this is why the verse goes on to say, Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright. See, that's somebody who has time management skills and prioritizes that relationship with God in the way they order their conduct, they order their time uh, time management, so that God is at the center of it. And they experience the salvation of God. And this just isn't being saved from a, a eternal a punishment of sin, but it's being saved from the presence of sin. It's more sanctification, the deliverance of God. Uh, throughout our lives. So this is an example of declarative praise. I've cleaned up this slide a little bit from last time. And de- there are two types of praise. Giving This is declarative praise, which is giving thanks for something that God has done. So this is the kind of thing that when we come together for our Thanksgiving slash Christmas dinner, we'll have an opportunity to express what God has done for us. And it's a response to something God has done. And you can look at various examples. I'll leave this slide up here for a little while so you can write this down. Psalm 9, Psalm 18, Psalm 30, Psalm 31, verses 7 and 8, and then 19 to 24 expresses declarative praise. Uh, Psalm 32, Psalm 40, 1 through 12. Psalm 66, 13 to 20, we'll look at that tonight. Psalm 92, Psalm 107, Psalm 116, Psalm 118, Psalm 138, and there are many others. But that gives you an idea and a bit of a pattern to see how the psalmist gives praise to God, how they or- organize their thinking and order their thoughts. Descriptive praise psalms are different. They're not driven by a circumstance in someone's life, a cry to God, and then their thanks and praise to God for his deliverance. These are psalms that just focus on the character of God. They just thank God for his sovereignty, his faithful, loyal love, his chesed love, his righteousness, his justice, the foundation of his throne. And, And they just go through the Various attributes of God, and thanking Him for those and how those have been displayed in history as well as in their their own life, uh, another psalm another verse psalm one hundred and twenty two four says where the tribes go, the tribes of the Lord that would be Israel." To the testimony of Israel, that's the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Testimony. Uh, This is from a psalm of ascent, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. And this is that same word I had earlier. It's hodu in the text. It refers to praise and confess, to praise, to confess the essence of God, who he is and how he has been faithful to his covenant and how he has been faithful to me as an individual. Hebrew, as I pointed out earlier, here's the verse, Hebrews 13, 15, therefore by him, that is Christ, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. We don't bring an offering to the, our sacrifice to the temple. It's the fruit of our lips. And that's not singing, that is what we say. That is how we describe what God has done for us, how he has interceded in our lives. We give thanks to his name. And the word for thanks in Greek is avcharisto. We get the word eucharist from that, which is another term for the communion table. But it has to do with the core root there, is charis, which is grace. It is a response to the grace of God, and so it expresses gratitude. So I closed last time. I said we need to be reminded that praise in the congregation and the singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs is not something that gets tacked on because it's a tradition. This is foundational to worship as it developed historically, coming into its uh, greatest fullness at the time of David, which is 1000 BC. And it was part of the praise of the people of God, Jewish up till the time of Christ, Christian after that, up till, till about 1600, they sang these psalms. And it's the result of a command, be filled by means of the Spirit in Ephesians 5.18. And then you have these participles of manner uh, that are our result, rather, that that result from a person who's being filled with the Word by the Holy Spirit and is walking by the Spirit. He speaks to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So you have two categories here. It's not that this is all you do is sing internally, but you sing externally. And also throughout the day, there is there's this song in your heart, as it were, your, your, your mind, you reflect on these things, which is why um, I like to sing a lot of the same hymns over and over again in the hopes that people will learn the words and memorize the words. I know most of the words to every hymn that we sing because of the years of singing them. And I can sing them when I'm driving down the highway and I can sing them here or there and they are always available and always present. And this is how we exhibit our walk by means of the Spirit, and it's expressed through what? Gratitude, that is praise. So all of this is is very much a part, a vital part, a central part of our spiritual life. Now let's look at another psalm. Turn to Psalm 66. This is a great praise psalm. And when we look at Psalm 66, we'll learn a few things about uh, what is going on in in uh, a praise psalm and how to praise the Lord? Psalm sixty six. You'll find there's an important verse in the middle of it. Psalm sixty six is a psalm of twenty verses. We don't know who wrote it. It's written to the chief musician, uh, could be Asaph or one of the others. These guys were absolutely brilliant. Choir leaders, orchestra leaders, they were musicians uh, par excellence. They were fabulous. And so it's written as as an individual praise, an expression of praise. And when this was uh, sung, initially the first time, it would have been uh, articulated along with the the various sacrifices and to the uh, crowds that gathered make a joyful shout to God, and that is a pretty solid interpretation. It is an imperative plural, so it's talking to a group of people. We don't know who they are in the English text right up front. Who are the y'all? Well, you have to read to the end of the verse. It says, the nations, the people of the earth so it 's not just addressed to Israel; it is addressed to all of the nations of the earth, and it is a call to worship to make a joyful shout uh, to the Lord. Uh, it is a command, but it 's also an invitation, a request uh, you know sometimes people say how do you ha- why do they have imperatives when somebody 's praying to God well you sometimes you have imperatives that are uh, that 's the barking order of a of a drill sergeant, and sometimes you have an imperative that is a request. Would you please do this for me? And that would be expressed through an imperative of request. And so it's, it has that sense as well that it is advice to all the nations that they should come and worship the Lord, not like the nations in Psalm 2 that are in rebellion uh, against the Lord. So they are to make a joyful shout the people of the earth. And then verse 2 echoes that same idea, sing out the honor of his name, make his praise glorious. Now this gets a little more interesting. The first word sing out is in a uh, also an imperative uh, plural, but it says sing out the honor. And there's our word chavad the glory of God. And the word uh, kavod has to do with something that is weighty, something that is serious, something that is important. And it emphasizes that, that when we talk about the glory of God, what we're talking about is his importance to life, his centrality to everything in our life, that he is the one without whom we cannot do. He is there, must be there at the center of everything, and so we are talking about how critically important and vital God is in our day-to-day life, the decisions we make. And the problem with all of us, myself included, is if we're not taking time during the day to think about and reflect on these things or at some point during the day in the morning when you get up or while you're eating lunch, a time to be alone and to reflect about these things, then then we can't do this. You can't sing out about the glory of God because you don't, haven't taken any time to think about how important God is to you, how God was important to the things that happened to you this morning or what happened to you Uh, at lunch, or when you were running errands, or what happened to you in the afternoon. If you haven't taken the time to reflect on that profoundly, then how can you sing out to show how important God is to everything that happened? And so we sing out the glory or the importance, the significance of His name. Now, as I've said already, that tells us that we're, t- we're we're reflecting on his essence. So we've gone through the essence box many, many, many times. You know those ten attributes of God to think about what went on in your life this morning. How is God's sovereignty involved? How is his righteousness or his justice involved? How is his love involved or his omniscience, his omnipotence, his power, his omni omnipotence, his omnipresence, his veracity, his faithfulness, his immutability. How was that involved? So we're singing out the glory of his character, his essence, his attributes, and how central that is to our life. And as a result of that, when we talk about him, we are making that praise to him glorious. We're glorifying him, and that elevates him to a uh, new level. And this praise should be addressed to God. Verse 3, say to God, how awesome are your works. This is how we praise God. Notice, doesn't say, say to God, praise God. Say to God, how awesome are your works. How that through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. See, there's a development of thought that's focusing here on his works, his power, his omnipotence, and uh, his mighty mighty works and how he overpowers and overcomes uh, his, his uh, enemies. So there is an acknowledgement of God's strength and power and the impact that this will have on his enemies. The word there that is translated, shall submit themselves to you, almost has the same thing as uh, the sense they will come uh, cowering before you. They will be forcibly submitted uh, to you. Now, does that re- remind you of any verse in the New Testament? Psalm, I mean, Philippians chapter 2. Verse, I think it's verse 11 or 12. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All of his enemies, as well as all of those who have trusted in him, will affirm and admit and acknowledge who he is. That doesn't mean they're saved because it's too late. You don't get a second chance. It's appointed unto men once to die and after that, The judgment, but there will come a time when all will recognize that He is in heaven and He is Lord. Psalm 66, verses 5 through 7, focus on this call to the congregation. Come and see the works of God, think about them. It's not just sort of an academic reflection, it is to think thoroughly about what God has done. He is awesome. And in his doing towards the sons of men, that is his power, how he oversees history. Christians, more than anybody, should be readers of history and understanding good history, that God is the one who is working out his plan and his purpose, even when things don't look so good. He is still working out his history. And here, of course, he's going to talk about the history of Israel. He turned the sea into dry land. That's a reference back to the Exodus event. They went through the river on foot. Didn't get wet. There we will rejoice in him. It's an example of how God delivered the nation. And as a result, you can extrapolate from that, he rules by his power forever. That's connecting what two attributes in the essence box his powers his omnipotence he rules that's his sovereignty he rules by his power forever that's the third attribute his eternality his eyes observe the nation so eyes there are used as a metonymy for his sight his knowledge And so he he knows it's his omniscience. So there's a fourth attribute. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. That's calling upon the action of his justice and righteousness. So see, when I talk about thinking through what God has done in terms of his attributes, a... We might start, like kindergartners, just listing those attributes and putting something out to the side, but as you think about this and reflect upon it more and more, look at how the psalmist puts this together, and in this one verse, we have six attributes alluded to, his sovereignty, his omnipotence, his eternality, his omniscience, his... Uh, righteousness and his justice are all part of that that one verse, so that shows another level of applying what i've been saying. Verse eight, we come to this phrase, Oh bless, bless our God, oh bless our God, So he calls on the people of the earth to bless God. Now, how do we bless God? What does that mean? As I said earlier, God is intrinsically self-sufficient. He is, there's nothing we can add to him. We can't take anything away from him. We can't add anything to him. He is, there's a, a word in theology called society. He is totally independent of his creation, and he is uh, not dependent on anything, so we don't add anything to him. And this word that is translated bless is the Hebrew word barak. Now there's a couple of homonyms here. There's the name Barak, which is found in Judges chapters four and five, the general, and that's spelled with a B-A-R-A-Q. And this is a a cough, a K, B-R uh K and you know it from the noun for blessing, bracha. Uh, of course, you probably pronounced it Baraka, but it's Bracha. And in fact, um, the former Consul General's wife here in Houston had that was her name, it was Blessing. And so this is the idea here. And what does it mean? to bless God. What does it mean to bless? And often we have this idea that's put forth by people that it has the idea of, of prosperity. God is, blesses Adam and Eve, and they have a lot of children. So it has something to do with with their fertility. It has to do with fertility of crops, that they are blessed and they're going to prosper. But beyond that, this has this word of expansion and enrichment. And at the very core is this idea that God is going to develop within us a capacity for him, a capacity for life, and a capacity for our spiritual focus. That's that's at the core. A blessing can be used of... Of expansion and and prosperity physically, but it can also applies spiritually and spiritually ultimately, we are blessed as God builds and develops in us a capacity, but He may bless us, He may enrich our lives with children, with family, with employment, with uh, material things. Uh, he may enrich us with good health, other things of that uh, of that nature. In fact, he may even uh, enrich and expand us spiritually by testing us. This is what the psalmist then brings out in verse 10. For you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net and laid affliction on our backs. Maybe you never thought about the fact that the difficulties when things didn 't go the way you wanted them to go, or when you had some serious health problems or other problems that that was just a form of God enriching your life spiritually. It was a test so that you could grow uh, grow spiritually, and so that is is developed here so what happens when we talk about blessing God? is that we are enriching and expanding and enhancing God's reputation among His creatures by talking about Him. People learn about God when we praise Him, and so blessing God, Baruch of Eloheinu, Blessed be uh, our God and Father, This is, and the ruler of the universe. That's the, the Hebrew phrase. It's the background Paul would have known, and we see it in Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? It, it, it became a way of talking about praising God, but it has its roots in if we talk about God, then we are enriching his reputation. We are expanding the knowledge of God so that more people will know who He is and how He will deliver them and how He has provided for them uh, in salvation and so we have in this uh, in the next section uh, the vow of the psalmist that he is going to make a vow to praise He says, "I will go into your house with burnt offerings whats that 's the first level of offering that you would bring when you go to the temple, the Allah offering. I will pay you my vow. So he's going, he's going to bring his sacrifices. And he says, which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. In other words, I cried out to you and I said, if you deliver me, I will uh, praise your name. And so he says in verse 15, I will offer you burnt sacrifice of fat animals with the sweet aroma of rams. I will offer bulls with goats. Anybody who's been to a barbecue place knows what that sweet aroma is like. That's what hung over the temple mount with those burnt offerings that were going on day in and day out. And... They announced that there was somebody who was bringing a sacrifice of total dedication in terms of a burnt offering, but also others in the peace offerings were going to share that meal uh, with others. And then we get down to the proclamation in Psalm 66, 16. Simply says, come and hear all you who fear God. Those of you who are, we would put it in New Testament terms, those of you who are serious about being a disciple of Jesus Christ, those of you who are serious about growing and maturing in Christ, come and learn about what God has done for me, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. Notice the focus is spiritual. On his life, I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. And then there's a warning. Verse 18, I told you this was the verse you would find that was familiar. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the word for regard means to look at. It has that idea of self-examination that is brought out by Paul when he's uh, rebuking the Corinthians because they have been abusing uh, uh, the Lord's table. They've turned it into a Bacchanalian uh, drunken orgy. And he said, you need to examine yourselves. That's the idea here, is if I examine myself and I see sin in my life and sin in my thoughts, the Lord will not hear. I'm, I'm, we would say I'm out of fellowship. I've broken fellowship by, with God because I'm not walking with him by means of the Holy Spirit. I am walking according to sin nature. When in contrast, then he says, but certainly God has heard me he has attended to the voice of my prayer. I prayed to God about X, Y, or Z, and God listened to me, and he delivered me. And then there's an an announcement, blessed be God. It is this term, again, that God, let's praise God because of what he has done. Let let us expand uh, this particular meaning. Uh, Al Ross, in a comment on the meaning of this word, says the basic meaning of the word bless is to enrich in some way, physically, materially, or spiritually, and the noun blessing can even mean a gift, as in Genesis 33, 11. The enrichment that comes from the Lord often includes the divine enablement to achieve the blessing, such as the initial blessing for Adam and Eve to be fruitful, and multiply. And so the concept of blessing here is essentially God is going to enrich us, so we enrich him by talking about what he has done. He is blessed forever uh, because his reputation is uh, enhanced and expanded in the mind of the Of the congregation. So that is basically the idea of uh, blessing the Lord. Another passage that we'll go to is in Psalm 103. Psalm 103. We'll wrap up with this one. These are just some examples to give you an idea of how you can craft your own prayers. I've read some different prayers to you in the past uh, from some different uh, people. Uh, I find that, that one of the reasons that we have trivial devotional books is because we have Christians who have trivial thoughts about God. They don't spend enough time with God. They don't think about all that he has provided for us. And we don't make time for God other than maybe an hour on Sunday morning. If we think about our ancestors, go back about 150 to 200 years, they would spend almost all day on Sunday at church. They would spend an hour in prayer, maybe after lunch. They would have the sermon in the morning. They would have singing they would come together. They would eat together, share a meal. Uh, many times, I mean, if you go to Fredericksburg, there's a great example there. They had these little Sunday houses, and that, the ranchers would have those in town so that they could come in on a Saturday night and they could spend the night there. So they would spend all day on Sunday uh, there in in town and at church, and then they would go uh, go home in the in the evening. And so this was that idea that people made time, their life revolved around God. And we think about the Old Testament, and I talked about the Old Testament calendar because of the ritual that the morning and evening sacrifices were designed to remind everybody that the whole day is God's day, every day. Saturday, the Shabbat was to remind people that the whole week was god 's and Shabbat was set aside specifically for that for that purpose in the month you would have your your lunar uh, your new moon festivals and sacrifices, and that too would t- remind you that the whole month was god 's and then every year you went through the three spring festivals and the three fall festivals. Are the four spring festivals ones in the uh, in the summer actually Pentecost, and and this is all designed to teach you that the calendar, all of our life, is around God. So, in Psalm 103, the psalmist says, "Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name." Now he's talking to himself, and it's a reminder as David writes this to keep a focus on praising God. He is pouring himself out, focusing on the fact that in spite of whatever he had to do, he needed to remember to bless the Lord with all that was within him, not as an afterthought, not as sort of a a secondary feature of his life, but that that is what gave meaning to life. And see, that's one of the things that we see coming out of this is that in all of our lives there's chaos, there's unexpected things, there's suffering, there's disease, there's disappointment, lots of different negatives as well as positives. But that which gives meaning and definition and pulls it all together is that focus on the Lord. Which comes out of this particular uh, particular psalm that we that David is calling upon himself not to forget to bless the Lord in the second verse, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, so there's a contrast between the second part of verse one, all that is within me and the Challenge to himself at the end of verse two, and forget not all of his benefits, because it's easy for us to forget what God has done. It's easy for us to just think that it's something that that we've done, or that we're just too busy uh, to think about it, and so we we don't take the time. But to bless the Lord, as I said earlier, is to. Um, talk about His character and who He is and what He has done in our lives. Uh, It's blessing His holy name, which means we need to take time to meditate, reflect upon the uniqueness of God and His attributes. It's more than simply knowing His name, Yahweh, but bless His holy name, His unique name, His unique character. There's no God like Yahweh. There is He's not like any of us. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our ways. He is far beyond anything that we can imagine. And so we need to take time to reflect upon him. In verse 3 and following, he begins to talk about how to do that. And, and, and it's a great pattern here because he talks about all the way in which God is involved in our lives. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says it were to be filled by means of the Spirit. Two verses earlier, or three verses earlier, Paul says, See then that you walk circumspectly. What he means is walk intentionally, walk in a planned, conscientious manner, live out your lives according to uh, an order of events think about your lives and ordering them in terms of divine priorities, not as fools, but as wise. What makes a person wise? Oh, wisdom is the person who fears the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. And then he says with a participle which describes the walking in in terms of intentionally by redeeming the time. In other words, we need to recognize that in a 24-hour period, hopefully you're getting seven or eight hours of sleep. And so that means that uh, that you have about 16 or 17 hours a day. You have to spend a certain amount of time at work, a certain amount of time on the road, a certain amount of time uh, just sort of in a mind-numbed phase, going and making coffee and making breakfast and getting dressed or whatever until you, the caffeine kicks in. But we have to take part of that time and say, okay, I need to have time in my day to think about God. And I need to have time to order that. That is part of my spiritual life. and I need to redeem the time because the days are evil. Because if we don't, we're going to get to the end of the day and go, boy, I just wasted time spiritually. We have to take time, as David says in Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. We live in a rush, rush world. We live in a world where most of us have to-do lists that are so long that we won't get there before a third lifetime if God gave it to us. But that's, that's not what will honor God. We need to buy back that time. We need to think about having time where we're still and we're quiet and as hectic a pace. I read something some years ago that in one day, the average American makes more decisions than a French peasant made in his whole life. Think about that. In one day, we make more decisions than the average citizen made in probably a day or two or three. Think about all the decisions that somebody like Benjamin Franklin or or George Washington made. We make more decisions than that probably in two or three years. Because we we have so many options, so many things go on around us. It is so hectic. There's just this rush, 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 and we often let the schedule control us, rather than ordering the schedule with our spiritual life at the very center. Now, the psalmist says, focuses on God. He forgives our iniquities. That's at the very, it's first because it's at the heart of everything. God forgives us. He heals all of our diseases. And the word healing in Scripture focuses on not just on physical healing but also on uh, spiritual healing. For by His stripes we were healed, Isaiah 53 says. It's healing from the uh, <clears throat> spiritual death of sin and also the consequences, the consequences of sin. Psalm 103:4, 4, "...who redeems your life from destruction." It keeps us from reaping the consequences of many of our bad decisions. He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. This is often the object of praise to God, is on his chesed love, his faithfulness to us, and his mercy, his compassion, the grace in action. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. God gives us many, many good things." And then we go on in looking at the uh, rest of it. He says, um, The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. In verse 6, notice how so many of God's characteristics are part of this. Verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And what does that mean to abound in mercy? Look at verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. How many of us are grateful that God does not deal with us according to our sins? Yeah, you don't have to raise your hand. (laughs) We're all that way. He doesn't deal with us. If God dealt with us according to what we deserve, we would all be in the lake of fire by now. Every one of us. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins nor punish us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. What a contrast. He is so good to us. As far as the east is from the rest, he has removed our transgressions from us. These thoughts take us back to that first statement that he is the one who forgives all of our iniquities. How does he do it? He removes it from us as far as the east is from the rest. And verse 14, For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. That's what it means to praise God, to think about who he is and what he has provided for us. Now, in summary, in light of what we're going to see coming up with our Thanksgiving Christmas dinner, just four uh, four quick summations. First of all, Thanksgiving should be directed toward God. Praise is directed toward the congregation. We thank God for what he's done, but when we talk to others, we are uh, expanding God's reputation by talking about who he is, what he has done, and what he's provided for us. Praise is directed toward the congregation. Second, the focus is on God. It's theocentric, as I said earlier, on his provision, on his character, thinking about all the ways he has provided for us. Third, the ultimate purpose in praise is to teach others, to encourage others with what God has done for us, that he can do the same thing and will do the same kind of thing for each of you. And just a reminder, it's not about talking about us. It's not about me and my problems. It's not about detailing any of those things. If we detail anything, it's the attributes of God and what he's done. So think about this shouldn't take long, just a short paragraph, just something to say to reflect upon how God has been good to you in the last year and what you have learned about his faithfulness, his goodness, his love, his power in, in many different ways. And so this is a way to encourage a congregation and to fulfill a biblical responsibility to praise God among the people with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, thank you for this opportunity to reflect upon praise and what we can learn from the Psalms as you teach us what it means to brag about you, to boast in you, to glorify uh, your your essence, your attributes, your involvement, your intercession and intervention in our lives. Father, we recognize that we are but dust and we are frail, and we're so thankful that you do not... uh, visit our sins upon us, and that you treat us with so much mercy and so much grace. And Father, we pray that we might be enriched by our understanding of how you work in the lives of others in this congregation because of your word in our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.